as, as I said, I hope that you remember that church is about circles and not roads. It's where we support each other. It's where we learn the love of God together. And I hope that during this series, you remember one thing, that what makes a conversation Christian is not that two Christians are having it, because you and I have been part of conversations between two Christians that weren't very Christian. What makes a conversation Christian is that it's encouraging. And 109 times in the New Testament, Christians are called to encourage each other over and over again. That is what our calling is. And that doesn't mean that every conversation you have with a Christian is, you know, sunshine and rainbows and all those things. Sometimes encouraging is to say, hey, you know, I've noticed something about your life that I need to bring to your attention. There's something that I feel called to talk with you about. But every conversation should lead to mutual encouragement in the direction of the cross. So we need to be really good at saying good things about each other and to each other, especially when that other person doesn't have to be, happen to be with us. It's important that sometimes we have those conversations that are necessary, but we need to remember the goodness that we see in others and call it out. Speaking of that, I received some pretty awesome news from a couple members of our church. The Nigley family, uh, they let me know that their sons, here's a couple picture, or a picture of, of the, the two of them, Benjamin and Nathaniel were, were part of the readathon that just happened at their elementary school, and each of them were the best readers in their grade. That doesn't necessarily surprise me all that much. Props uh, to them. Benjamin apparently read and then had read to him uh, for 1,258 minutes in 18 days. And Nathaniel um, read or had read to him 2,470 minutes in 18 days, which I did the math on that. And I'm not all that good at math, but that comes out to two and a half hours per day for 18 days that Nathaniel was reading. So congratulations to him. Apparently he read two Harry Potter books, among other things. You can talk to him perhaps when we get back together about which ones uh, he read. But it's so cool to see you guys doing that. And they each got, because of their efforts, $25 to Barnes & Noble. And that sounds pretty cool, but it sounds like you have enough books already, guys. So uh, I, I will give you guys a $25 gift card to In-N-Out because you guys deserve it. You, you have earned it. Um, so congratulations. So I hope that as we think about this series, that we think about encouraging each other, whether it's young people or old people, and so much of that starts with just the words that we speak. Just a few minutes before we were getting ready, there was some noise going on in the room, and Austin came up to me, and he was in a kind of a conversation, and he said to me, I don't know your wife's name. And I said, that is, I mean, we've hung out, it's a little offensive, and just a weird, <laughs> a weird thing to just lead with. And then I, so he could tell that I was a little confused, so he said, again, I, I don't know your wife's name. And again, I said, uh, and I said, you don't know my wife's name? And he said, no, no, no. I said, I didn't know your wife could sing. And I was like, okay, that, that clears that up. Because we hung out a few times, and it's a little offensive. I wouldn't lead with that, perhaps, if, if that's, if that's how, how you're feeling. Our words are important. The things that we share, the, the misunderstandings that we sometimes have, we, we think that we're communicating in a certain way, but sometimes we don't. And it's so important for us to really consider how much our words 
matter. And unfortunately, I don't think Christians always do a good job of this. John Acuff, who's a humorous writer who started a blog called Stuff Christians Like, and he's written, has some books on this topic and does some speaking. He said, especially in the South, they have the bless their heart syndrome, where you say bless their heart, and then you can just say whatever you want about that person. Like, you know, bless their heart, but I'm like, let me just lay into them for a little bit, or, you know, bless their heart. But in the, and I think that's somewhat true, that we sometimes think that we can just kind of say whatever we want to say, as long as we start it with a little bit of Christianese, and that makes us feel a little bit better. But in reality, it's really the words that you speak, that I speak, that either build up or destroy the church. And James, who is the brother of Jesus, I think deeply understands this. James writes a very practical book towards the end of the New Testament. And it's really an interesting book that I think we all could continue to press into and learn from because this is the brother of Jesus telling us, like, these are the most important things that you need to understand and learn. And one of the things he writes about a lot is the tongue. So James chapter 3, verses 2 through 5 says this, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take a ship as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. James writes with some of the most vivid imagery in the entire Bible about your tongue. He says you've got to be careful with how you use your words. You've got to understand it's a very small thing, but it makes great boasts. Like a bit can help to drive a horse or a rudder, can, can move a ship around. Your tongue directs your life. I've read studies that say that about 85% of marital infidelity starts with electronic communication of some form, whether that's on Facebook or hitting me up in the DMs, you know, like that way, or, yeah, I've never used that phrase before, <laughs> probably, probably never again, or a text message, because there are things that you would say electronically that you would never say in person, and it opens you up to just start these conversations and start to put your mind and your heart in a certain direction. And I think that's true in, in marriage-type relationships. I think it's true in, in marriages, or not, not in marriages, in relationships in general. That If you continue to, to talk in a negative way about somebody who's not present in the room, like it's easy for you to go down a direction and put them in their category that they really don't deserve to be in. James says this kind of stuff is extremely destructive. The tongue has nine muscles in it, but what's weird about them is they never get tired. Every other muscle in your body, like if you're doing your bicep curls, like it gets tired the next day. You're feeling it a little bit. But the tongue has nine muscles, and it never, ever gets tired. Our family got a dog a few months ago named Chowder, and we have no idea what his background is. He's a mix of a whole lot of things. 
But one thing that people consistently say is, is Great Dane. He's not really that big, but you see that a little bit. He's, he's a big dog. And Chowder is a very sweet dog, but as I'm walking around uh, the neighborhoods with him, he's excited to see some of the other dogs, and it's always funny to me how the littlest dogs are always looking like they're about to fight. Like, it's across the way, and the little dogs are just like, let me just get over there and get a piece of him, and Chowder's just excited to go interact with him, but those dogs, I think, literally think they could beat up Chowder, and Chowder would just have to put, like, one paw across, and it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but I think that that's often how our tongue is. It's just like the little yip dog at the park that just thinks it can go fight any dog in the room. The tongue makes great boasts, and it sets a course and direction for your life and my life. So James is begging us, be careful, because you just don't know how powerful your words are. They direct the course of your life. They bless other people. They build people up. They can easily cut people down. Adolf Hitler is one of the people that comes to mind wherever you think of one of the worst people in human history. And one of the ways that he was able to impact society so negatively in, in his early speeches as he was trying to turn Germany against the Jewish people is he would call the Jews cockroaches. Because if you start to use certain demeaning and dehumanizing words about groups of people, it's easy for those who are listening to start seeing those people as less than human. And historians say that what was so remarkable about him is even in his radio speeches, his words just came across so impactfully. He truly was one of the most brilliant speakers ever, and unfortunately, he used his words in horrible ways. Your tongue has the ability to bring amazing life and hope into the world, or it can lead you in another direction. James continues and says this, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Then he continues, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Again, this is some of the most vivid imagery in all of Scripture. And, and James is basically saying that as you use your words, you have the ability to create life or to create a certain kind of hell. Think about that. Oftentimes, when we are using our words negatively, we want to try and create a certain kind of hell for some other person. But in reality, who are we really creating that word for? Ourselves. Oftentimes it's anger that comes out in our words. Oftentimes it's envy that comes out in our words. And we think that we're creating a certain kind of world for that other person. 
I've heard it said about anger that it's the worst. And as you think about revenge, as you have these thoughts in your mind, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. If you are just like thinking about something and, and talking negatively, it's easy for you to create a certain kind of hell. And the thing is, it doesn't really do it for that other person. It does it for you and for me. James says you've got to be careful because they've tried and they can tame certain kinds of animals. But no human being can tame this thing, this little yip dog at the park, because it's so easy for it to get out of control. As I think about my life and, and your life, one of the things that Scripture encourages us to think about is the age to come. To not just think just in this present moment, but to think about how your life will continue in some form or fashion. How there's a legacy that comes after you. That it's not just in this present moment that you should think. And I believe that we think that our actions are the things that are going to last. That the actions, the things that we do are going to make a difference in the world. And I think to some level that's true. But I think more impactful than our actions are our words. Think about the things that you remember about a grandparent or great-grandparent. When you gather with your siblings and you're telling stories, it's always about, you remember what she used to say? You remember that thing that he would always say to us? Of course, you do remember some actions as well, but almost more impactfully than actions, when you are gathered, you're remembering people's words. Because their words direct their life, and they direct the lives of people that are around them. So James continues and says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No, is the answer we're supposed to say to that. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? No. Or a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It's interesting that he's talking about this, and we would say that somebody with a salty mouth has something that they shouldn't be saying. And back in the day, he was talking about that. Can, can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? No. And so don't act like it doesn't matter. Don't act like your words don't make a huge difference in your life and the lives of other people. My brothers and sisters, this just cannot be. Your words have great power, so don't act like you can just throw them away or use them however you want to, and it's not going to deeply impact your life and direction. Because it does. Just think for a minute about how powerful words are. I love our congregation. I love the, the leadership and the staff and the chance to work with the people that I do. I, in just a few months, will have been here for 14 years. I'm the longest tenured minister in the 100-year history of our church, and I'm so thankful for that opportunity. And I have a great relationship and great passion for what our church is doing. I feel like I have a good relationship with the people in our church. 
But think with me for a second. I could say something over these next 30 seconds that could get me fired. Think about what that might be. Go ahead and share it on the chat if you want to. No, don't, don't, don't share it on the chat. You all have some ideas coming to mind. I wish I had the Jesus mind reader thing right now so I could be like, oh my goodness, that is horrible. I, I could, in the next 30 seconds, destroy my career in ministry. I could. I won't, but I could. And I really don't have a lot of hateful things in my heart, so I, I, there's not a whole lot that I, I think would even come to my mind. But I could get myself fired in 30 seconds. And then I act, and you act like our words don't mean all that much. They mean the world to people. Your words make up your life, and so much the lives of people around you, you, even though you have your limitations and your weaknesses, you are a very powerful person because you have words. James is just reminding us, you have to be very careful. Don't act like you can just have a salty mouth over here and it's not going to affect what's going on over here. It makes a huge difference. Are you using your words to see the good in people? to encourage them, to speak words of hope. There's a marriage therapist named Dr. John Gottman. Whenever I'm going with a, a couple through some marriage counseling and, and therapy before a wedding or sometimes when people are hitting a bit of a rough spot, I ask them to read this book called The Seven Principles of a Happy Marriage. And his book, um, he has a love lab that he writes about. He lives in the Seattle area and he has invited hundreds of couples and just watches them for thousands of hours. A little bit creepy, but he sits there and watches them as they interact. And he said that he's learned something over time as he's watched these couples as they've had conversation. A quote from that book, I don't have it on the screen for you, but after listening to a couple talk about a problem, I sadly predict to my colleagues that these two that I'm looking at, named Dara and Oliver, will see their marital happiness dwindle. And sure enough, four years later, they report they're on the verge of divorce. Although they still live together, they're leading very lonely lives. They become like ghosts, haunting the marriage that once made them feel so alive. I predict, sadly, that their marriage will falter not because they argue. After all, I ask them to argue very honestly in front of me. Anger between husband and wife doesn't predict marital meltdown. Other couples in this newlywed study argue far more than these two do. Yet I predict that others will remain happily married. The clues to Dara and Oliver's future breakup isn't the fact that they argue. It's in the way that they argue. I think this is true in any sort of relationship. It isn't just the fact that we have arguments or disagreements and at time to time have to have some honest and, and important conversations. But it's in the way that we do it that it matters. He goes on to say in his book that he can watch a couple just have a conversation about anything, not even having an argument. He can watch a couple have a 15-minute conversation, and he can predict with unbelievable accuracy their future. Because just the little things that you say, they add up. And it ends up making an unbelievable difference. Can you consider how you would encourage 
somebody a few words. Can you understand that you've got a little yip dog in here that has the ability to do unbelievable harm or unbelievable good? When Jesus talks about loving our enemies, possibly one of the most radical things that Jesus says. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now this is such a, a fascinating statement that Jesus makes as he's going to talk about forgiveness. He says that there's these people in your life who you're going to have some issue with. You're going to have some problems that are going to be important for you to work through. If you're in community, you're going to hurt people, and sometimes they're going to hurt you, and sometimes you're going to end up with people that you would call enemies. But what does Jesus say is the beginning of the path to forgiveness? Praying for them. And I think you don't know that you have an enemy until you know that you struggle to pray for somebody. And what Jesus is telling us here is that your words can unlock your heart. Because there's certain people, maybe you're somebody who's way better than me, so you've never had an enemy or never had beef with anybody, but for most of us, there's certain people who, if we're honest, it would be hard to pray blessing for and not pray like, you know, that they get hit by a bus. To pray, you know, God, I want to see good for him. I want to see good for her. And Jesus is letting us into something that the beginning of forgiveness is praying blessing and saying by name somebody who we've had some problem or issue with. Because at the beginning of forgiveness, you aren't going to feel like forgiving that person. You aren't going to feel like acting good towards that person. So to begin to change the direction of your heart, which is this big ship that you're trying to move, it starts by saying, God, you know, I don't even necessarily feel like acting all that well towards that person, but God, I'm going to lift this person up to you, and I pray your blessing over them. Because your words direct your heart. May you recognize just how powerful you are because of the words you have. And may you use your words to bless someone this week because those words can bring about life. I've asked our dear sister Darlene to come and share about someone who has been an encouragement in her life and the ways that she has been blessed by that person. So Darlene, thank you for coming and being willing to share this morning. Thank you, Brother Brian, for allowing me to share a few words with the congregation this morning. I'd like to begin with Proverbs 31, 10, which tells us or asks us the question, who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. And further in Proverbs at 30 and 31, the scripture tells us favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own work 
praise her in the gates. Today, it's my honor to share with you um, a story about a woman who fed me words of encouragement. And this woman was Thelma English Choto. Thelma was a beloved member of her family. She was adored by her children, Carla and Keith, her grandchildren and her larger family, which also included the Glendale Church. I was always inspired by Thelma and the way she encouraged others. My earliest memories of Thelma when I was a little girl was when I was a little girl at Normandy Church of Christ where our families worshiped together. And after morning service at Normandy, after being led in a sermon by Brother Carol Pitts, our brother John Green, I would have the opportunity to spend the afternoon with Thelma and her children, Carla and Keith. And I most enjoyed spending the afternoon because Thelma would make one of her famous signature dishes, continental chicken, or chicken continental. And so for all of my life, I had the opportunity to observe Thelma's commitment to God and his living word, which she so freely shared with others, whether that was through a woman's Bible, women's Bible class or just with you one-on-one. -on -one. But it was in 2013 that Thelma's prominence in my life took on more significance. And it was during that time when my stepfather passed away and Thelma, true to form, was there to support my mother and the larger family. You see, Thelma and my mother were as thick as thieves. They were sisters in Christ, they were cousins, they were sister friends. And so Thelma became a spiritual advisor of sorts to me when I needed help as my mother's health began to decline. Thelma would often share with me scriptures and prayers and reminded me constantly, even intimating that all of this was preordained. She reminded me frequently that God would not put on me more than I could bear. And there were many times when I told her, oftentimes crying that Thelma, I couldn't carry this anymore. I became my mother's primary caregiver, which actually turned out to be the greatest privilege of my life. And Thelma would often remind me that because of the work and the love and commitment and dedication that I was showing to my mother, that God, I had surely earned some jewels in my crown. She reminded me always of God's goodness. And I am so thankful for the lessons that she taught me along the way. As Brian shared with us, the tongue is very, very powerful. And Thelma encouraged me in the direction of the cross and her words had great power in my life. And today, I remember her, and I honor her, and I thank her for all that she had given me.